You're listening to a Sun Life podcast. We pray that you be blessed by the teaching of God's word. For more information, visit sunlife.org.au. Enjoy the sermon. For those who don't know me, my name is Ben, and I'm the, the pastor at Sun Life Church. And it's always a joy, always a joy to, to open up the word of God and teach the word of God. And I do pray that, um, yeah, as, as we look into God's word, uh, we're encouraged. That's all I, all I pray and hope for. Um, many of you may not know, but some 15 years ago, 15 years ago, Tran and I, um, we had this rental property where we had tenants living in it. Yeah, it was a testing season. God really tested my patience, you know, my uh, self-control, you know, all the fruits of the Holy Spirit. God was really testing me during that season. And I wish, I wish prior to having these tenants, I stumbled upon this website. There's a website right here. Uh, it's a website regarding tenants. Not that one, that's it. You know, tenants from hell. Five telltale signs to look for while screening renters. You know, it was a tough season. And maybe, maybe you've had tenants. Maybe you've had a rental property and you can relate to me. Well, this morning's passage in the Bible talks about tenants. Talks about wicked tenants. But not the tenants living in a house, but tenants working on the land. And it's a parable. And Jesus is telling a parable to address the question of his authority. We're up to chapter 12. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 12, verses 1 to 12. And let me set the context first before I give us some observation. At the end of chapter 11, the Pharisees, the religious leaders began to challenge Jesus. They're asking Jesus, Jesus, where are you getting your authority from? Like, Jesus, we notice you coming into Jerusalem on a donkey, and everyone's kind of singing and worshipping you. Hosanna, Hosanna on the highest. Where did you get this authority from? Uh, Jesus, we notice how you would heal people, you would cast out the demon-possessed, how you would forgive sins and how you would resurrect the dead. Jesus, where did you get your authority from? Go with me to the very end of chapter 11, verse 28. Let me just read the word of God. And they, these are the leaders, the religious leaders, said to him, that's Jesus, uh, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Can you see that? They're, they're questioning Jesus' authority. And so what Jesus does is he tells a parable. And a parable is simply a biblical truth in everyday language that they all could understand. And it's a parable of these tenants working on the land. And in the parable, what he does is he gives two rejections and one invitation. He talks about a past rejection. Then he talks about a future rejection and he talks about a present invitation. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Okay, so I'm going to pray, and we're going to go straight to the text. Father, would you help me now as I teach your word? I pray, God, that uh, you would speak to us loud and clearly, and that you would help us to keep following Jesus. And if we may not know Jesus, just begin to take a step closer to him. So God, would you help me in this time? In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles open, yeah, you can also open up the church app as well too. Let's look at this past rejection. 
So Jesus talks about something that took place in the past. In fact, hundreds of years ago. Okay, Mark chapter 12, verse 1. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and he dug a pit for the wine press and he built a tower and he leased it to tenants and he went into another country. Can you see in the text? A lot of work, yeah? A lot of work done in this vineyard. And he is probably thinking, all the work that I've done, I've dug a hole, I've put a fence, I've built a tower. He's expecting success. And back in those days, it was normal practice, right, for an owner to lease out your land and have tenants work on it. The owner would go away and the workers will pay the owner a portion of the crops for the tenancy. So it was very normal practice. And so the people who heard this was like, yeah, we get it. We understand that. And the people back then would also understand that every time someone told a story of vineyards or any literature with vines, they knew that it was a representation of God's people and their relationship with Him. So right now, the audience are like, okay, Jesus, you're talking about us. You're talking about our ancestors. Well, in the Old Testament, many times, God would always use the analogy of vineyards for his people. So go with me to Isaiah 5, and I'll just read the first two verses. Isaiah 5. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up, he cleared it of stones, he planted with the choice vines, he built a watchtower in it, and he cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Not a good start, right? If you're God's people, you're expecting good fruit, but it yielded bad ones. In Ezekiel chapter 15, here's a picture of my Bible. That's my Bible I took during the week. And chapter 15, look at the subtitle for chapter 15 Jerusalem, a what? A useless vine. So if you know your Bible, right, throughout the Old Testament, the people of God just didn't get it right. They kept messing up. They should have bore great fruit, but they never did. And so right now, as Jesus is telling this parable, they're thinking, oh yes, we remember the past. We, we didn't really behave ourselves. Well, let's continue on in the parable. Okay, verses 2 to 5. When the season came... The owner sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit from the vineyard. And they took him and they beat him and they sent him away empty-handed. Verse 4. Again, he sent to them another servant and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. Verse 5. And he sent another and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, some they killed. And we stopped there. I mean... How horrific is this? At least five times, the owner sent a servant to get his portion back. And in all occasion, the tenants did not give back the owners his portion. The tenants beat, shamefully treated, stoned, and in some cases killed these servants. We can see that these tenants here are corrupt. They're wicked, they're evil. They did not honor the original agreement. Let's take a pit stop. Let's have a bit of a quiz here. If the vineyard represented God's people, 
The owner represented who? Any guess? God. Is that right? The tenants represented who? The religious leaders. The very people that had the responsibility to help God's people follow him, but didn't. The people who should have been close to God. And so right now, Jesus is saying, you guys, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, describe you're the wicked tenants. That's the reason why in verse 12, at the very end of this passage, go there with me, look what happens. And they were seeking to arrest Jesus, but they feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against who? Them. So they left him and went away. Can you see? So pit stop right now. The vineyard represented who? God's people. The owner represented who? God. The tenants represented who? The religious leaders. What about the servants? The servants who came to ask for the portion, who did they represent? The prophets of the Old Testament. The prophets who came one after another to tell God's people to repent. If you read your Bible in the Old Testament, God would always send prophets to say, hey, turn back to me. Stop doing those wicked things. Repent. Be obedient. But what happened to all the prophets? They were beaten up, they were stoned, and they were killed. Can you see what Jesus is doing right now? He's pointing back to the past rejection, something that took place in the past where God's people rejected him. In Jeremiah 7, one of the prophets, he wrote this, From the time your ancestors left Egypt until now, day after day, Again and again, I sent you my servants, the prophets, but they did not listen to me or pay attention. They were stiff-necked. Can you see that? So right now, you begin to see this parable unfold. Jesus is saying, in the past, you rejected me. In the past, I sent prophets one after the next, telling you to repent, but you do not want anything to do with me. And then now Jesus talks about a future rejection, something that's going to take place maybe three days later. It hasn't taken place yet, but Jesus knew this rejection is going to take place within three days, a future rejection. Let's go there. Back to the parable, verses 8 onwards. He had still one another, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him. The inheritance will be ours. And they took him and they killed him and they threw him outside the vineyard. So, friends, pit stop again. The vineyard represented who? God's people. The owner represented who? God. The servants represented who? The prophets. The tenant represented who? The religious leaders. Who is the beloved son? Who? Jesus. You know, I always tell Sun Life Church, when in doubt, the answer is always Jesus, right? If I ask you, who loves you? Jesus. Who died for you? Jesus. Who are you going to see one day? Jesus. Who's your king? Jesus. All right, it's always Jesus, right? And so right here, Jesus is saying that I am the beloved son. I am the heir of this vineyard. This vineyard belongs to me. I am the owner of God's people. Can you see what Jesus is doing? 
Jesus is saying, I am the rightful owner of this vineyard. That this vineyard belongs to me. I am the king of the Jew. That's where I get my authority from. Respect me. Listen to me. That's what he's doing right there. But in the parable, what did they do? They didn't listen to the son. In fact, they would kill him outside the vineyard. And Jesus was talking about a rejection that would take place a few days later. Because on the Thursday, Judas betrayed him. Him. Friday morning, all the disciples deserted him. Friday afternoon, a Roman centurion crucified him. He's talking about a rejection that's going to take place three days later. That everyone's going to leave him, his closest will leave him, and he's going to be hung on a tree. He's talking about his own death. And it wasn't a surprise for Jesus because Jesus has been saying all this while that I'm going to die. I'm going to be rejected. And he begins to tell them this parable of a future rejection that's going to take place at the end of the week. Because remember, this week here is the Passover. This is the week where Jesus knew around the corner it's going to be the Last Supper. It's going to be that Good Friday. Remember? Now look back at the parable. Look now as we conclude this parable. Verse 9 and 11. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyards to others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that was the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this was the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. You notice in verse 11, the Lord's doing. Like you read that and you realize that nothing was a surprise for God. That God knew that his son would be rejected because he allowed that to take place. And Jesus knew that his mission was to be in this world and be rejected by man. But it was a beautiful thing because in verse 10, what does it say? The stone, go back to verse 10. The stone that was rejected by the builders has become the cornerstone. Jesus knew that I'm going to be rejected, but I will become the cornerstone. I want to teach you something about the cornerstone here. Go to the next slide here. Um, the cornerstone here in verse 10 points to a passage in Psalms 118. And a lot of Christians, you know, it's okay for us to think the cornerstone as the first stone, um, I guess, laid in the foundation. And then everything is measured to that stone. And that's okay. I think that's an okay thinking. But I think a more accurate way to understand this cornerstone is you look in the Greek and I'm no, Greek, I'm no Greek master or expert here, but I can see a bit of the Greek here. The first week here is, uh, is the, the word cephalon, which is the word head. And the next word there is the word uh, geonos. Geonos is the word stone. That's how bad my Greek is, okay? It's the head stone. It doesn't say cornerstone. That's why in some translation, you may have capstone or keystone or headstone, but I say it's the headstone, and that's true to the Greek. You see what's going on here? Jesus says the stone that was rejected because it was, I guess, ugly, has actually now become the top stone. There's a picture right here that the capstone is actually better understood as the stone that's on the very top of a building, top of a porch, Right there, for all eyes to see. 
The stone that was rejected is now lifted up high and is now the most important and most beautiful stone for all eyes to see. It reminds me of Cinderella, the fairy tale Cinderella. And she was rejected by her stepsisters. She was rejected by her stepmother. But as you read through the fairy tale, you know what happens. At the end of the night, she's the most beautiful lady at the dinner party. And I'm not saying Jesus is a Cinderella story. But what I'm saying is that if you read the Bible, the stone that was rejected, Jesus who was rejected, is now lifted high for all to see. That is now the most beautiful and most important stone of them all. You see, Jesus is already talking about the fact that he will be lifted up high for all men to see. That his death is beautiful. See, for Christians, we know that the death of Jesus is wonderful. It is horrific. Yes, it is gruesome. Yes, it is painful. But we know unless Jesus died, we're lost forever. And we are so grateful that our Lord, he died in our place on the cross. And he was lifted up high so that we can now be welcomed into the vineyard of God. And that's what Jesus is saying right there. John says this. He says in John 12, And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show of what kind of death he was going to die. You see, friends, there was a past rejection. There's going to be a future rejection. But now Jesus says there's a present invitation. The present invitation is this, is what Jesus is saying is that I welcome everyone into my vineyard. Yes, originally it was for the Jews, but today it's for everyone. Everyone can be part of my vineyard. Everyone can belong into my kingdom. I love invitations. Maybe like me, when you're given an invitation, you feel very important. Is that right? Whether it's a birthday invitation or an invitation to a baptism service, a wedding invitation, a graduation invitation. You know it's going to be a special day, but you still have to make a decision whether you go or not. Is that right? Whether you attend or not. And so what Jesus says is that there's an invitation right now for everyone to come into my vineyard. There's an invitation for everyone to come into my kingdom. And that invitation is not only for the Jews, but for everyone. In fact, as I read the Bible and study the Bible, I realize that it's not only invitation, but Jesus is also pursuing us and wooing us and wanting us to join his kingdom. He doesn't say, here it is, you make the decision. I see in scripture, it's here's the invitation, and I'm pursuing you, and I'm speaking to you, and I'm going to call you, and I'm going to use people to invite you, and as you come, you're going to feel me. It's like, and Jesus is pursuing, he's not letting you go. He's actively loving you, he's actively pursuing you and inviting you because he wants you to be part of the vineyard. He says, welcome to my vineyard, come and be part of my family. There's a parable in Luke 15 that talks of a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and he lost one. Now, if you know your Bible, this is the parable where he left the 99 he says, I'm going to look for that one lost sheep. I'm going to look for it. I'm going to pursue it. And I'm going to grab it. And I'm going to put it on my shoulder. And I'm going to take it home. And I want everyone to know that I found what is lost. Because I love it. 
And that's a picture of a God who's forever pursuing you and me. He's inviting us. He's calling us home. And maybe for some of us this morning, this is your first time in a church building. And you're thinking, this is like a rock concert. (laughs) There's all this music and drums. But during the singing, something happened. During the singing, you felt maybe there's a love of God. Friends, I'm telling you, God is pursuing you. He's inviting you into his kingdom, into his vineyard, and he's pursuing you. Or maybe right now as I share this message, you feel that you're missing something, but right now it makes sense that maybe there is a God out there somewhere who loves you. I'm telling you there is. He's inviting you and he's pursuing you. Or maybe every time you enjoy your beach stroll or you're into nature and you look at this beautiful creation and you realize, wow, surely there must be a God out there. Well, that's God pursuing you. God is inviting us into his kingdom. He says it's for everyone. He's looking for us. He's loving us. He's inviting us. He's pursuing us. The Dutch theologian Henry Nguyen, I quote him, he says this, My spiritual journey will change when I no longer think of God as hiding out and making it difficult as possible for me to find Him, but instead as the one who is looking for me while I'm doing the hiding. He's looking for you. He's pursuing you. He's inviting you into His vineyard. And He says that my vineyard is for all people, for everyone. And later on, I'm going to baptize four beautiful followers of Jesus. I'm going to baptize them because they have made the decision, whether it's months ago or years ago, to say, I'm going to go into this vineyard. That I know that God is loving me. I know that God is pursuing me and I've received the invitation to be part of His family and I want the whole world to know that I belong in his vineyard, that I belong to him, that the Son of Man, Jesus, is my master. He is my owner. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. And we're going to baptize these people here. But I want to encourage you, as I conclude by saying this, is that he loves you. God loves you a lot. He's pursuing you. You're not required to be perfect. No one's ever going to be perfect. Trust me, this is not a perfect church. You're not required to have it all together because we're all broken here. We're all messed up here. You're not required to know your Bible verses and quote off the top of your head 20 Bible verses. I don't think any of us can do it here. I can't do it. But all you have to do is to say, yes, I accept that invitation, that I want to be part of that vineyard. I want to be part of that kingdom. Not be like the religious leaders who rejected Jesus, who said, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. I'd rather be humble and say, I want Jesus. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm lost without him. I'm so far from him and I need him. That's how you enter into the vineyard of God. We see a past rejection. We see a future rejection. And Jesus says, right now, there's a present invitation. I welcome you into my vineyard. I have died for you. 
I have rose for you, and you can be part of this vineyard. Amen. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for reminding us that um, you love us, that you died for us, you rose for us, and you welcome us into your vineyard. And so I pray, Lord, for everyone here this morning that as we uh, listen to the word of God preach, God, you draw people to you. You draw people to you. You help us take that step closer to the cross. Help us to keep following you for those who have made the decision to follow you, Jesus. To keep doing the things you want us to do. Lord, and for those who may not know you yet, I pray, God, that you would continue to pursue them, draw them closer to the cross. And I do pray that one day they will meet you as well. Lord, we love you. We love your word. Help us to keep following you for the rest of our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.